Hallelujah. What I feel in this house is apostolic. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You may say, well, what does apostolic mean? It means in the spirit of the apostles. That means the kind of church we're having today is what they, what I would imagine they might have had 2,000 years ago when the church began. Expectation, anticipation of a visitation of God's Spirit. And I feel it here today. I know Jesus is in the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you want to stand with me and, and listen as we read the Word of the Lord. Just one verse of Scripture from Proverbs chapter number 22 and 6. This is the last... Sunday of our extreme home makeover for families. And uh, what a, a great portion of material that uh, we've covered. And uh, I'm trusting that God is strengthening and blessing families through this particular sermon series. As I mentioned, next week we'll be finished with the sermon series and our worship service. We'll be focused exclusively on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, no doubt there will be healing and miracles that will transpire as well. Praise the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 22 and uh, verse number 6, the Bible says simply, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Bible makes it real plain and real clear. That if you train a child the way they should be trained, that when they're old, they will not depart from the way that they have been trained. Just like uh, an animal, a dog, that you would train. Once you train the animal, that training is ingrained in that animal, and he will learn to follow those patterns. And uh, we want to uh, talk today, you may be seated, we want to talk to you today about the important subject of remodeling your family room. Thank you, Brother Jeffrey. What a wonderful young man. Our first Sunday together, we talked about gutting the house. Before you do a, a home makeover, a remodel, you have to take some things out that might be dangerous or harmful to your family. And then uh, uh, the second week, we talked about reframing values into your home and how that uh, you have important values that you want your children to have and how you teach those values. Uh, last week we talked about a very important room in every house, and that is the master bedroom. Remodeling the master bedroom, creating better marriages. And uh, there's some powerful scriptural truths about how to strengthen marriages. And then today we're talking about the family room. This is our final session, and uh, uh, today we're going to focus on this. This is the place, the family room is the place where connections with children take place. And the family room also is representing where teaching and training happen. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you this day. God said, Commit yourselves to my commands. Verse 7, Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away on a journey when you are lying down, and when you are getting up. The Bible here is indicating that a person's spiritual training does not happen in a classroom. But a person's spiritual training for children happens throughout the entire scope of their life. And so since the teaching and training of children does not happen in a controlled environment such as a classroom, but it happens in a variety of settings like the home, or the car, or in their bedroom, or at church, or on vacation. Uh, all of these different venues for training your children and parenting and training your children, we're going to bunch them all together and refer to them as the family room today, okay? So we're talking about remodeling the family room or improving our methods at teaching and training our children. And we want to remodel our family rooms today. Now, in many families, the family room is in terrible disrepair and it needs a makeover. And uh, it seems as if the teaching and training of children is a lost art. Many families are very ineffective at training their children. 
There are many fathers that are very good at earning a, a salary. They're uh, very good at keeping up their home. But when it comes to training children, there are very few that are extremely effective. That's why we're focusing today on remodeling the family room. I want you to look up here at this. Well, let's start over again. I'm going to take my life to college. When I grow up, I'm going to run in a race and I'm not going to finish it. I want to inherit all my dad's money and squander it all on wine and women. When I grow up, I want to commit treason. When I grow up, I want to gamble all my money away. When I grow up, I want to work for FEMA and completely screw up a natural disaster. When I grow up, I want to have kids and completely miss out on raising them. I'm going to drop out of school. I want to be involved in a corporate scandal. When I grow up, I want to be a hobo. I want to receive a dishonorable discharge. When I grow up, I want to take steroids and break the home run record. When I grow up, I'm going to marry the wrong person. <laughs> Very few uh, families or parents would uh, determine from the beginning and the outset, hey, I want my kid, my child that I bring in this world to grow up to be any manner of these things that are mentioned today. But many children and young people in our world today are out of control and rebellious. They're very disrespectful. And not only does this create problems in society, but more importantly, it creates many problems for these people as they try to integrate into society without an effective understanding of the importance of submission and respect. Some of them end up being kicked out of school. Some of them are arrested. Some of them end up in juvenile court and juvenile prisons. And later in life, they may be involved in a life of crime, spend time in jail or even in prison. Many of them die an early death because of uh, abusive behaviors or a violent crime. And I know that these are extreme cases and in these cases that I'm mentioning, something was obviously wrong at home. These people that I'm referring to usually come from dysfunctional homes, homes that need an extreme makeover. But uh, lest you get the wrong idea, not all ineffectively trained and ineffectively disciplined children are going to end up in jail or dead at 25. The vast majority of ineffectively trained children and young people uh, they have a much less spectacular but a very slow and painful and unnecessary adjustment to the real world because of poor training and because of missing discipline in the home. So we're here today to help you. We want to help you remodel your family room and help you establish godly training and discipline into your family. Now, first of all, one point is that a loving family will have parents that are involved in giving guidance to their children. The function of parents are this, teaching and training. As parents, your number one job with your kids is to teach them and to train them. Now, if I had a, a, a bicycle up here with training wheels, I meant to bring one and I forgot you would uh, realize that in order for training wheels to work, you have to have one on both sides, right? You can't just have one training wheel. You've got to have training wheels. Does everyone understand that? Because if you have it just on one side, then it will fall over one way or opposite. So the two wheels that keep a child moving in the right direction, the two training wheels are teaching on one side and training on the other. And you may say, well, what is the difference? Well, um, when you study the words, teaching actually means to put information into the mind. And uh, teaching has to do with conversation, speaking and talking to your kids, teaching them things and putting it in their mind. Whereas the word training has more to do with the art of nurturing and chastening or disciplining. And uh, so with uh, uh, training, it requires both positive of nurturing and also the negative side of discipline as well. So the two sides to get your kids to where you want them to be is you've got to on one hand give them information and training. Teach them. 
teaching. On the other hand is nurturing and discipline, which is what we refer to as training. If you only do just one, then it gets out of whack. Now, there are some people who are out of balance toward teaching. They, are the, they have the words-only approach to raising kids. They don't want to discipline. They don't want to uh, uh, have consequences for actions. They just want to talk it out with their kids. Let's talk about it. Let's explain to you. Let me explain this to you. But if you get out of balance toward teaching only, it often leads to things like yelling and screaming and verbally threatening. No action is ever taken and it ends up turning into a great shouting match between kids and parents because it's all lopsided to one side. Now on the other side, which is training, which it requires discipline, if it gets out of balance toward training, the theory is we're going to act now and we're going to talk about it later. And uh, we'll punish you now, and then we'll talk about it later. But when it gets out of balance toward training, it often leads to physical abuse of children. So a loving family has parents that balance teaching and training. And if a child is raised in a family where there's this balance of teaching and training, children are more likely to develop into emotionally healthy adults. Now, there is a third component here that I want to talk about. There's teaching and training. But whenever you have wheels, they have to keep rolling and moving. And uh, um, if you've ever had a bicycle before, every once in a while you've got to take that oil and put it on the chain because otherwise rust and corrosion will cause it to lock up. And the third important thing uh, in uh, uh, the family room for training children is love. Love is the oil that keeps the wheels of teaching and training rolling smoothly. You may try to teach, you may try to train, but if the children that you are working with, your children, do not sense and feel that they are loved, it makes the job much more difficult. So oil is necessary. Oil makes the job easier and smoother. And the oil that makes teaching and training happen so much easier is love. Now here's a main point today, and we're going to uh, uh, refocus on some things we taught last week. And that is... A child has to feel. Everyone say feel. A child must feel loved by his or her parents in order for teaching and training to be effective. If a child feels and senses and knows that he is loved, that love will cover a multitude of sins. In other words, weaknesses in parenting, mistakes that parents make inconsistencies, and so forth. Even though there are weaknesses in parenting, it still can produce emotionally healthy children if plenty of love is applied. Now, before you just turn me off and say, well, that's all splashy and that's all just kind of uh, trite and there's really no meat there, there is a difference between loving a child and making a child feel loved. This is very important. The need is for a child to feel loved. So loving your child is not enough. You must be able to communicate this love in a way that the child understands. Last week we talked in marriage about this important concept of the love tank or the love bank. If it becomes empty, uh, then the marriage suffers. In raising a child, if a child's emotional love tank, which has different levels, either full medium or empty, the love tank must be full in order for them to be able to receive correction and develop properly. If you try to teach and train a child and their love bank is empty or their love tank is empty, then your teaching and training is going to fall on deaf ears. It's going to be very ineffective. Now, there is a book written by Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages of Children. And this book reveals that there are five basic love languages. And you're like, what are you talking about, love languages? Now, you may not know it, but this message today is being already communicated into three different languages that you're hearing today. Most of you are hearing it in English. Some are having it translated into Korean. Others are having it translated into Spanish. Now, why is that happening? The reason that's happening is because not all of us understand the same language, right? Everybody with me? 
And so I can be talking to you all day long, but if I'm, I'm not speaking in your language, I may be putting effort into my thoughts. I may be presenting them in the best possible way. But if I am not speaking your language, then you're not getting the information. Can we all agree on that? Now here's the point. When we're talking about communicating love that fills up the love tank and causes kids to know that they're loved and feeling confident and happy and secure and developing properly, there is, there are five different love languages that have been discovered by uh, sociologists and psychologists that describe how different people receive and give love. Some people speak, you, you speak, you hear, you respond in English or in Spanish or Korean. And there are five languages that you speak and receive and respond in. And the reason this is important is that you need to understand what is the love language of my child because I don't need to just love them because oftentimes there are kids that say, my parents don't love me. They love my brother. They don't love me. When in reality you talk to the parents, they say, I love my kids so much. And you can sense that they do, but they haven't learned how to communicate that to their child in a way that their child can understand. So this book entitled The Five Love Languages reveals these five basic love languages of how a person gives and receives love. It's important to understand your child's love language and speak it regularly. It's also important to remember that no two children are alike. Now, um, the Lord blessed my wife and I almost two years ago now with a second child. Our first child, Cambria, and our second child, Brooklyn. And it did not take us very long to learn the reality of the fact that no two children are the same. Even though they're raised in the same home, even though they come from the same gene pool, amen, even though uh, um, they, they, they have a lot of similarities in appearance, their personalities are very different. They communicate in different ways. They uh, uh, respond to different things differently. So it's important to understand in raising your children that no two children are alike. And I don't need to just speak one lang love language, but I need to learn the various love languages to that my child communicates, receives, and gives love. Now, first of all, for your attention, what are the five love languages? The first one is words of affirmation. And this very simply is giving a child positive words about himself and your assessment of him or her. There are some children, and they grow up to be adults, who have a tremendous hunger for these words of affirmation. They need them. It makes them feel secure and comfortable. Words like, good job. Thanks for your help. I like the way you did that. I can tell you worked hard on that project. These are words of affirmation. And if this is the primary love language of your child and you are not given to saying those words, then they are not going to feel loved. And it's going to be a challenge to train and teach them. So here's the point. Sometimes we as human beings say, I'm going to give love however it's comfortable for me. And if they, they, if, if they don't understand, if they don't receive it, that's their problem. See, that's the wrong attitude to have, especially when you're doing the most important job you'll ever have, which is training and teaching your kids. So since this is a very important job, you need to say, you know what, I need to find out psychologically and, and uh, emotionally and, and genetically how my child is wired to give and receive love. And uh, if, if words of affirmation is their love language, I need to learn to speak this love language. I remember as a child... Uh, this is either my primary or secondary love language because I was always, always hungry to hear a, a, a compliment or a positive word from my father. And I would go work in the yard, pull weeds, work like just a child, working really hard. I remember one, one case in, in point. I was working at the church pulling weeds all by myself and people would walk by on the sidewalk, older teenagers and grown-ups, and they're like looking at this little kid out there working so hard, and they're like, wow. And a couple of them made a comment, man, you're working hard. 
I felt like, you know, when you're a child, it seems like I, I thought I worked 10 hours that day. I probably only worked a couple hours, but all I wanted was for my dad to recognize and notice and say what a good job um, that I had done. That's words of affirmation. Some children, this is their love language. The second one is quality time. Some people, and since we're talking about children, this is their language of love, which is giving the child your undivided attention. I have learned that um, my oldest daughter, this is the language of love that she communicates in and uh, that she has a need for. And she knows I love her, not because I kiss her on the head. She knows I love her, not because I say words of affirmation to her, how beautiful she is, how smart she is. She knows I love her when I stop doing what I'm doing and I focus specifically on her. This is her love language. This can be reading books playing ball, riding bikes, taking walks, talking together in the car. These times are what make the child with this love language feel loved. Understand, we're not talking about whether or not you love your child. We're talking about how to make your child feel loved. The third love language is physical touch. And one thing that um, uh, psychologists have done studies, and they have discovered that touch is crucial to all children. They've done research and experimentation that shows that babies who are touched frequently in a loving way grow up with better emotional health than those who are left unattended. Just physical touch. But some people, this is their primary love language. And if there's someone who this is their primary love language, it becomes even more important to them. I remember Sister Kathy uh, telling us that some of the children that come into children's church in Sunday school, uh, some that come in on the bus, they want a hug every single time. And so obviously this must be their love language and maybe it's something they're missing at home. And uh, they're desiring for that to be expressed and they feel loved and therefore they feel comfortable. And uh, the fourth love language is receiving of gifts, receiving and giving gifts. To these kids, when they receive something a gift, it says something to them. It says, Mom and Dad were thinking about me. That's what it communicates to them. Now, we're not talking about indulging a child's every want, but rather giving inexpensive gifts that communicate thought and love. It may not even cost anything. It is the thought that counts to the children with this love language, the fact that you are willing to give to them. And finally, the fifth love language is Acts of service. This is doing things for the child that you know they appreciate. This can include helping with homework, attending a sporting event or school play, providing transportation, preparing meals, etc. So, Dad, if your child has acts of service as his love language, when you fix his bike and put it together again, it's not just about getting it back on the wheels again, but you are applying the oil of love to them. So that teaching and training is something that can happen. The whole point with these five love languages is we've got to make sure that our ch children feel loved in order to apply discipline in teaching and training. If a child feels loved, he will develop normally and be open to instruction and training. However, when a child does not feel loved, even if he is loved, if he doesn't feel loved, he will likely rebel at his parents' efforts at teaching and training. So if their tank is empty, if, if their love language is words of affirmation and you never or seldom ever say anything to affirm them and make them feel good about themselves and how you think about them, and you try to teach them and train them, their tank's empty. They're not going to be able to make the journey with you. So it's important to learn the child's love language Every child has a primary and a secondary love language that are more important to them than the other three. That doesn't mean that the other three don't mean anything. But you must learn what their primary and secondary language is and focus on those. If the parents do not speak these two love languages carefully, I mean regularly and consistently, the child may not feel loved even if he is loved. So the question is not, do you love your child? But the question is, does my child feel loved? Is everybody listening? That wasn't very strong. 
Y'all still with me? So this brings us to the next question. We know what the five love languages are now. Acts of service, uh, receiving of gifts, and uh, then on the previous page, words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch. So the next question is, how do I discover my child's love languages? This is going to be very eye-opening for you. How do I discover how my child gives and receives love so that I can make sure their love tank is full so I'm not just some authoritarian trying to order them around, but that they will be nurtured and strengthened? The first point is observe how they express love to you. This is very important. Whether it's words of affirmation, Dad, you're so smart. Dad, you did so good. Or... Maybe it's crudely wrapped gifts that they put together or hugs and kisses or wanting to spend time with you. What, hap- what the reality is, your children are giving to you what they like to receive themselves. So whatever they speak to you, whatever they do to you, you can observe how they express love to you and can begin to discover a pattern. How does my child express love to me? This must be their love language. A second way is to observe Observe what your children request of you most often. This will likely reflect their primary love language. They say, be sure, be sure and bring me something back when, they come, when you come. Well, their love language may be gifts, giving gifts, receiving gifts. How did I do, Mommy? How did I do? This is probably expressing or revealing their desire for words of affirmation. Maybe they always ask you to walk with them or play with them. Their love language is probably quality time. Listen to your child's requests carefully, and then you can begin to observe and discern a pattern emerging. And uh, assume a dominant request that keeps coming up over and over again probably reflects the love language, either primary or secondary, of your child. The next point. Listen for what your children complain about most often from you. If they are critical of you for something you are not doing, they are giving you a clue as to their primary love language. Children are most critical in the area of life that is related to their love language. And um, shut her ears. (laughs) My, My daughter... Uh, has been critical of me in the past for not paying attention to her. Um, Daddy, you're always reading the paper or on the computer or somewhere else. Daddy, please play with me. How come you never play with me? And so as I've been studying this, I realize, you know what, she is revealing to me that you, you can come in and love on me and hug me and kiss me and pray for me before I go to bed, but in order to make me feel loved, I need some quality time. I need some of your undivided attention. Then I feel like I am loved. And so you begin to observe these patterns emerging based on how they express love to you, what they request of you, and what they're critical of you about. As you begin to recognize this, don't just brush it off and ignore it. Say, you know what? This is a lesson for me. I'm getting some clues here. In order to be able to train my kids and discipline them and have them grow up to what I want them to be, I've got to apply the oil of love. I can't just teach and train them, but I've got to make sure they feel loved. And if and just hugging them and saying, I love you and and, uh, and kissing on, on them and loving them, if that's not going to sp- do it for them, I've got to find out what their love language is and make sure that I'm able to communicate to them and cause them to feel loved. And uh, when you are speaking the child's primary love language, the child will be more receptive to your teaching and training and will have a more positive spirit about life in general. Same is true in marriage. Guys, if you're listening... If you speak your wife's love language, meet her needs, you're going to find out that the house becomes a whole lot nicer and friendlier and less hostile environment. It just, everything goes easier and smoother when you're speaking their love language. The same is true with raising your children. And uh, when the love tank is empty, the child will be at his worst. When the love tank tank is full, they're receptive to teaching and training 
and they'll have a more positive spirit about life in general. Now, the details of teaching and training are a very vast subject, and we don't have time to delve deeply into it. The class that Brother Steele will be teaching, Growing Kids God's Way, which is starting next week, will help you develop skills in this area of teaching and training. And as you can see with this book, the very thick book in 17 weeks, it is a vast subject, and I'm not going to try to cover it all today. Today we're just touching some main points to give an overview of training your child for discipline, teaching and training obedience. Training obedience in a child is so very important. As I mentioned earlier, it has similarities with training an animal. And you think, well, that, that's inappropriate, that's crude, that you would make reference to your children in the same sentence as an animal, that you would treat your children like an animal. Well, the point is, animal trainers are able to train animals to do very complex and amazing things on command. It's pretty cool, isn't it? What people can train monkeys or dogs or various other animals to do. Now, think about this with me. Would most of you agree that your child is a lot smarter than any dog or any monkey? Yeah? Just the, 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 the basic dimensions of their brain usually indicates to, uh, compared to body mass. And here's the deal. You can train your child to do amazing things too. Like make their bed, wash dishes, pick up clothes, complete homework before play display proper conduct in social situations, etc. There's a lot of different things that you can train your children to do. But the key is learning obedience. If they never learn obedience, then they can't learn anything else. Learning obedience is learning to live by the rules and how to respond properly to authority. Now, here's the, here's the deal. Living under authority is a part of every healthy society. If there's no authority, it becomes anarchy. And everybody knows that's not a healthy society. Because we have laws in our land, it makes for a better place to live. Well, I hate the laws here in America. Well, guess what? Move somewhere else, please. Because in America, the laws are what makes this country where everybody wants to come. And uh, living under authority is an important ingredient in every functional family as well. In order to have a good, solid family, there has to be authority. I remember a story that my, my father told uh, about one of the houses on his street where there was a family that lived there. I don't remember the name of the family, but uh, my dad said everybody wished they lived in that house over there. And the point was there were no rules in that house. The kids could come home whenever they wanted. The kids could stay out later than anybody. They had no house rules. And, uh, but the interesting story was, my dad said, the end of the story was they watched as the family grew up and how that those kids had a tremendously difficult time integrating into society. Two or three of them spent time in prison and in jail and other issues and problems and addictions and so forth in their life because there was no training and teaching in the home. There was no structure. There was no authority. And everybody thought, well, that would be a great place to live. But the reality is every functional family understands the importance of authority and living under authority. And you can't just expect to have authority in your house and you not be under any authority. You not be submitted to school teachers or bosses or spiritual leadership in your life. Obedience is not a negative word. Can I get an amen? Obedience is something that's very good and very positive and helps create the right atmosphere. But the sad part is you were not born with an obedience gene in your body. Obedience is something that has to be taught and has to be learned. Everybody understand? In fact, in reality, you were probably born with something the opposite of an obedience gene. seems like we were born with a tendency to test the rules and push the boundaries. Anybody ever seen a toddler do this before? They, their mom puts something off limits. No, you can't have that. And they're just like inching their hand closer and closer. And they're looking at their mom. And they're just getting ready to do it, to disobey. And they're watching. Why? They're pushing the boundaries. 
There's not an obedience gene. It's something that has to be trained into your child. My kid is so disobedient. Every kid is disobedient until you train them to be obedient. It's about training. It's about teaching. And uh, obedience is best learned when the child, as we mentioned, feels genuinely loved by his parents. So this is one of the important factors. It, loving a child and making sure that he or she feels loved. Hopefully we've made that point significantly uh, clearly enough. And uh, besides feeling love, the greatest factor in learning obedience is experiencing the reality that all behavior will have consequences. In order for a child to grow and to develop and learn obedience, they have to learn that all behaviors have consequences. You ever seen before a parents that intervene for their kids when they get in trouble? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The kids get in trouble either at school or, or maybe they get in trouble uh, with the law in a juvenile setting. And the parents pull strings and do whatever they can to make sure the kids do not feel and experience the consequences of their actions. This is a major mistake because the important part from the time they're little till they move out on their own, you've got to teach them that there are consequences to their behavior. The problem with kids who are rebellious, disobedient, problem problems to the family is because they never were taught that if you do this, this is what happens. What happens is, if you do this, this is going to happen, but then they do this and they don't execute the discipline. Or if it's at school, if this happens, then this is going to be the result. And so this happens, and then the parent tries to get between the, the, the teacher. I, I can say all this because I used to be a school teacher. And gets between the teacher and the child and says, no, you're not doing that to my son or my daughter. See, if the consequences were laid out, then they have to be executed or else you miscommunicate. Obedient behavior brings positive consequences. Disobedient behavior brings negative and painful consequences. So the two things that a family could do in order to teach obedience is focus on these two realities. Number one, loving a child and making sure that he or she feels loved. Number two, making sure the child experiences the consequences of his or her behavior. Now, I'm getting close to the end here. Everybody still with me? Some of you are like, I think I'll take a nap here. I already raised my kids. And uh, the more we get into this, I realize I kind of messed up. So, <laughs> How many glad there's always a tomorrow? Tomorrow. And uh, I see I mean, ladies back there. There's no tomorrow. It's, it's done. We're finished. All right. Three points. In order to teach and train, of course, we know that the atmosphere has to be loving and, and, and the atmosphere has to be there's consequences for your actions. So how do we do it? There's three things you do. Number one is setting the rules, establishing the rules. Because in order for there to be discipline in the home, uh, the kids have to know what's expected of them. They want to know what the boundaries are. And rules are the guidelines for family living. One point is that good rules are not random, but they make sense. They're agreed upon by both parents. You don't have one parent with one rule, another parent with another rule, and a confused child. Everybody understand? So good families where there's two parents, there are agreed upon rules by both parents, and they are discussed with the entire family. The whole point of this is the kids need to know what's expected of them. It needs to be discussed, brought out in the open, so that there are no questions as to what the expectations are or the rules are. And reasonable and healthy rules should be good for the child. Something that protects them or helps them uh, uh, connect better with society. It's got to be things that will improve the child and have some positive effect on their child. One point about setting the rules is that unspoken rules are unfair rules. 
The family needs to be made aware of the rules the parents agree on. So the first step in creating discipline in a family is to set the rules, decide what are the fair rules, what are rules that are going to benefit our child, not just for our benefit, but for the child's benefit, to make them a better, more productive, more balanced contributor in society. And once we decide on that as husband and wife, we agree on it and shake hands, now we bring in the family and we're going to discuss and go over what are the rules. Just so there's no questions, maybe you need to write them down. Because how many have ever said something then you forgot what you said? Write them down so that the, the, the rules are understand and known. The next step, important step, is setting the consequences, both good and bad. And usually as parents, you need to set the rules and the consequences together before you bring it out and discuss it to the kids. Rather than just giving them rules and then once they break the rules, okay, the consequence is you have to clean the bathroom because the bathroom's dirty. Now, in our civil society, the breaking of civil rules usually brings negative consequences. If you do something wrong, there's a negative consequence. If you break the speed limit, it hurts you really bad in the pocketbook. If you uh, break any one of the laws and you are caught, there are consequences. And the effective motivation to civil disobedience requires quick and certain consequences. That's why in recent years there's been such an upswing in crime. Because rather than uh, judgment being executed speedily, it seems as if things are played out for weeks and even months and even years in the court system. And uh, then once it's uh, established, the consequences after they've been delayed sometimes are very minimal. And so it's produced an upswing of crime because they're with the rules are not clear consequences. With the laws, if there's no clear consequences, then they are not likely to be obeyed and submitted to. And uh, so <clears throat> obedience is learned by suffering the consequences of disobedience. I'll make that point one more time. Obedience is learned by suffering the consequences of disobedience. This principle works in the family room. If you want to, if you want to do a remodel of your family room, this is one statement to understand Obedience is only learned by suffering the consequences, the clearly established consequences of disobedience. Consequences for breaking rules. Here's a good, a good idea. These consequences should be determined and disclosed when the rule is presented to the family, not later. And uh, it's best if the consequences are associated in some way with the rule. And... Uh, so this brings up the next question. What about spanking a child? What about corporal punishment or physical punishment? There are a variety of different viewpoints, a variety of different ideas on this. We know that the Word of God says that um, uh, if you sp spare the rod, then you will spoil the child. This is talking about an absence of discipline creates a ruined or a spoiled child. So the question about spanking as a consequence for disobedience, let me give you what I think. Spanking a child is not a cure-all for misbehavior. Well, I'll just spank it out of him. I'll just beat it out of him. He's a rebel, but I'm going to take care of him. You watch and see. Even though spanking is not a cure-all for misbehavior, there are times when spanking can be an effective consequence for misbehavior. Examples of Appropriate circumstances for spanking, if you're so inclined, is if your child is physically beating up another child, they're inflicting pain, it might be an effective consequence for that. Or if a child is putting himself or herself in physical danger, the fire of the street. I had to spank my littlest daughter, my, my younger daughter, yesterday. Probably the first time I've ever spanked her. She ran out into the street here even though we had told her no. And uh, after I finally got my heart beating again, I, I spanked her uh, to let her know this will hurt you. This will hurt you. And another appropriate circumstance for spanking is blatant rebellion or defiance. The child is defying what you have asked him or her to do. But in order for spanking to be an effective consequence, it should not be given in the heat of emotional rage but with calmness, deliberateness, and with love. 
Another point is spanking is more effective with the younger children, not as effective with juveniles, the teenagers. The purpose of spanking is not to inflict pain on the child, but to teach him obedience. It must be done in love. It must be done for the child's benefit. And a good idea is to give your child a dose of emotional love before and after the discipline. I'm running out of time here, but in administering discipline, inconsistent discipline is one of the worst things you can do. That is being permissive one day and hard the next day. Letting them break the rules one day and then enforcing them the next day. If you are inconsistent in your discipline, it's a good way to raise a disobedient, disrespectful child. Consistency is the key word. Same yesterday, today, forever. If it's wrong today, it's wrong tomorrow. That doesn't mean you can never change the rules, but if you do change the rules, you sit down and explain it to them uh, before the fact. If the rules and the consequences have been clearly disclosed, the child will respect your consistency when you administer discipline and learn the lesson and teach them the lesson that actions have consequences. Be kind, be loving, but be firm. Sometimes the consequences you set in order to execute discipline, it's going to be inconvenient for you, but you have to do it anyway. If the rules and the consequences were established and the rule was broken, there should be no exceptions to administering discipline. Everybody got that? No exceptions. And through consistency... Parents earn the right to be honored. Not through harshness, not through, through discipline, but through consistency, through being consistent. And uh, so the final point of administering the discipline, do it quickly, as quickly as possible. Do it fairly. Do it consistently. Be loving, be kind, but be firm. And in closing, as you consider all of this and... Uh, let me make sure that I disclose the fact that I'm not telling you that I've told you everything you need to know about raising kids. It's just a little bit of an insight. Many of the principles will be laid out in this study. But it may seem overwhelming to you as you consider the, wrath, the, the task of raising children in 2007. Can I do this in this society, in this day? Can I accomplish it? I want to tell you that Life Church is committed to partnering with you to strengthen your families. And this class that we're giving is a great way, and we plan to teach this every year. And also we have children's ministry and youth ministry to partner with you to help strengthen your family. But the point is you need another partner. I'm not talking about your spouse. Obviously, uh, having a spouse is a very important part. But with, well, you need somebody that's going to be with you all the time to help you with your patience and your kindness, giving you direction and understanding. And this partner that I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. The partner that I'm speaking about is referred to as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ promised, when I leave and you no longer have a pattern to follow, I'm going to send another comforter to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He will give you direction. He will give you encouragement. He will teach you how to be kind. He will teach you how to obey my laws. And the Holy Spirit is the greatest partner, amen, that you can have in raising your children. And this partner that I offer to you is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is about leading and guiding you into all truth. If I need direction in my life, I get it through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit. It gives me, in real life situations, answers and direction. I know of many times when I didn't know what to do and the Spirit of the Lord gave me insight and direction. Not only that, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. And when I'm stressed out, when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm, uh, when I'm feeling like I'm ineffective, when I'm feeling beat up, the Holy Spirit is my comforter. I know that Jesus is with me at all times. Amen? And next week on Sunday, we're having a Holy Spirit baptism service. The whole purpose of our service when we gather together after the Sunday school classes at noon, we're going to worship and praise the Lord, create an atmosphere of faith in the house, and then we're going to have a message about 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how easy it is for you to receive. And you may have been in church for a long time. You may have gone to church many years, but you're, and you've always just assumed that you have the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you today that you may not have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost yet. Just saying that you believe in Jesus is not enough. Because there were believers in Acts 19. They were believers, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. In Acts chapter 8, there were people who had been baptized, who had received miracles, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Then Peter, amen, and uh, James, uh, Peter and John, I believe it was, came down and began to lay hands on them, and they began to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This greatest partner in raising your kids, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, is available today. It is available today. It's a real experience. And more than just a wonderful experience that you can talk about and tell people about how wonderful it was, what happens in your life after you receive the Holy Ghost is the greatest story of all. Because the Bible says you can begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Things that used to make you mad, they don't make you mad anymore. You used to be very impatient and you become patient. You used to be unkind, but you become kind. You used to be rough and mean and you become gentle because the fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest itself in your life. We're not talking about training you and teaching you to be more kind and gentle. We're talking about God's Spirit transforming you and changing you into a completely different kind of person. If you want to be the greatest dad that you can be, if you want to be the greatest mom that you can be, the best thing that I can, the best advice I can give you, get in the class, but also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pray for your kids to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Cambria, my daughter, is six years old. Last year, the Lord filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a little child. What a glorious and wonderful experience. You don't have to have a degree in theology to receive the Holy Ghost. You don't have to understand everything about it. You don't have to be a Pentecostal. You can be a Baptist. You can be a Catholic. You can be whatever. And you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. One thing that will happen when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there, some people shake when they receive it. Some people cry. Some people get excited and jump around. Most people, when they finish, they want to hug everybody. Everybody's life is changed. But one thing that happens uh, is that when you receive the Holy Ghost, whether you're crying or laughing or hands raised or kneeling down or laying on the ground like we saw a couple weeks ago, somebody laying on the ground received the Holy Ghost, is that you will speak in a language that you never learned before. As the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. Don't worry about it. Don't stress out about it. Don't try to figure it out. Just come saying, you know what the preacher said? That I can receive the Holy Ghost. And that when I receive the Holy Ghost, I'll speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives me the utterance. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't understand it all. But you know what? If the, if the Word of God says that it's there and it's available for me, in fact, the Peter said, this promise is for you and your children, those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The reason you're here today is not just because you showed up, but because God is calling you and He wants to fill you with His Spirit and change your life and transform you. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. 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 There's nothing like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can take a prostitute and turn her into a prayer warrior. The Holy Spirit can take a drug dealer and turn him into a Bible study teacher. The Holy Spirit can take an angry, hurtful person and turn them into somebody who loves everyone. I'm talking about something that no class can do. I'm talking about something, amen, that no seminar can do. I'm talking about something that no message preached can do. Only the Holy Spirit, alive and working in a person's life, can bring about this radical transformation. Amen. Take somebody who thinks about nothing but sports and turn them into somebody that thinks about Jesus and His goodness and reaching the world with the gospel message. This is the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Let's thank the Lord for it. Hallelujah. I wonder if in closing, if we could stand together all across this place. I want to encourage you. Man, invite somebody out next week. Somebody that may want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Maybe it's somebody that doesn't understand. I promise you we'll explain it very carefully, very simply, so that a child can understand. Because I believe children are going to receive the Holy Ghost next week. I believe... 
middle-aged people, young couples, older people. Amen. We had a lady a couple weeks ago here receive the Holy Ghost whose son, daughter-in-law, and grandchildren come to this church and she received the Holy Ghost for the first time in the middle ages, later middle ages of her life. I saw a man receive the Holy Ghost one time that was 79 years old. Amen. And all ages in between. My daughter received it at five, five years of age. So if you're between five and 99, even if you're a little older than 99, even if you're a little younger than five, you're still a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. I'm excited. Before we're dismissed today, I want you to reach your hand over. Just close your eyes. Reach your hand over. Put, if it's appropriate, put it on the shoulder of the person next to you. We're going to pray for one another right now. There are some of you in this place that are parents. Maybe parents-to-be. <clears throat> raising children. And you want to do a good job. You want to do it right. We're going to pray for you. Also, there are those of you in the house that have never experienced the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And your curiosity is beginning to rise about this experience. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God would increase your faith and your desire and your hunger and your appetite for that. Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person who has gathered together here today, Lord. Thank you for this great chance and opportunity to worship you and adore you. I pray, Lord God, for every parent in this house today, Lord, every prospective parent, Lord God, that you would be with them, Jesus, that you would give them encouragement and strength, that you would help them, Lord God, to see that this is a very important job that they're doing and get help and training to be the best parent that they can be, Lord God. I pray that you'd be a strength to them, to every mother and every father, Lord God. Uh, hallelujah, that they would have the moral, the moral strength and fortitude to discipline and, and to uh, train and to teach their children. Secondly, God, we're asking today, Lord, for those who are desirous of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some in this house today have never experienced it before. They've never spoken in other tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. Maybe they felt God and felt His presence and been touched by Your Spirit. But God, I'm believing next week that You're going to fulfill Your promise in the book of Acts that said this promise is to you and your children that if you repent of your sins, if you baptize in Jesus' name, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I pray, Lord God, that those who are considering and wondering and hearing the words, that, Lord, you would begin to increase their faith this week. God, I pray in the name of Jesus uh, that you begin to put hunger in their heart, Lord God, for your spirit and for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Lord God. And I know, Lord Jesus, that you will fulfill your promise uh, that as we come in expecting and believing uh, that your spirit is going to be poured out, uh, that it will happen. Uh, I thank you for it. And I pray that your spirit move in this place right now, Lord. Bring encouragement, Lord God. Bring hope, Lord Jesus. Bring peace. Uh, I pray in the month of June, bring revival to Life Church. A, a greater revival than we've ever seen. Revival that takes drug addicts uh, and turns them into Bible study teachers. Uh, revivals that take people that are lost and broken down and ruined, Lord God, and puts hope uh, and faith uh, and destiny into their life uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you make all things new. Thank you, Lord, that you take the broken and you put it back together again. Thank you, Jesus, that you take the stress and you put peace in its place. Thank you that you take the depression and discouragement and replace it with joy. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Lift up your hands to him and praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given to me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for what we feel, Lord God. You're worthy of the glory and the honor. Jesus, you're worthy of the praise. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Wow, it feels good in church today. Anybody glad you've been here today in the house of the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord.
Before you're dismissed, two little uh, pieces of information. First of all, if you've not signed up for the class, Growing Kids God's Way, or New Life class, which is the introductory class to Life Church, if you're interested in being a member and getting involved in Life Church, which I believe every Christian should be a member of a church, uh, please see one of the ladies at the back on your way out to sign up for the class also. Number two, if you're a visitor, first-time visitor with us today, I want you to go out the door to your right there in a garden, our garden area beside the church here. There is a, a, a tent set up, I believe, and uh, they will be giving you a gift to all of our first-time guests, uh, a nice gift that uh, you can take home to remember Life Church by. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. We love you all.